Major League Baseball. This is the Nosebleeds Podcast on WFUV Sports. Welcome into Nosebleeds, a production of WFUV Sports. Postseason baseball. We are officially in October and we're already done with the first series of this October. The wild card series, a lot of fun series there. Quick sweeps, four sweeps, and it was done. Now we're on to the division series. But postseason baseball is back, and it's in full swing. Division series starting on Saturday for both the American League and the National League. But how's it going, everybody? I'm Will Talent, joined by Lauren Mondaruli and Maddie Bimonti. Lots of fun baseball to talk. We still have some local news to unpack before we really get into the offseason. We will get into that in just a second. But Lauren and Maddie, how are you guys doing today? I'm doing good. I'm excited to talk some October baseball. This is my favorite time of the year. I love postseason and the playoffs. It's just always such an exciting time. The wild card was pretty brief, but I'm excited to get into it. You know, as as a Mets fan, I have been oh obviously enjoying this this time. You know, yeah, I the, think you would. I I really enjoy this time of year, especially with everything coming out of the Mets organization right now. Uh, it's been great. Uh, excited for next year. So that's where we are right <laughs> that's now. That's the mindset to have. And you know what? Only what like five more years now? Just five, maybe five. Maybe five. Maybe five more years right back at it you think you think it's five it might be a little sooner we said it was three to five three years ago oh Uh, (laughs) like three so now are we adding five more on to the three to five right now well i don't want to spoil what we're going to get into right (laughs) off the bat but i think with the new changes it's going to take a little bit of time i think you're right and that i think we should just get right into it we have some new york mets news a lot lots going on with the mets brass as Their season came to a conclusion. Buck Showalter out the door kind of mysteriously in his last press conference, pregame press conference, as the New York Mets manager pretty much alluded to that he wasn't going to be back. And then that report was confirmed. Buck Showalter out as manager in 2024 for the New York Mets, leaving the newly hired David Stearns and current general manager Billy Epler to look for a replacement at the managerial position. Now, yesterday, Billy Epler steps down. Total redirection for the New York Mets. It's now all David Stearns. Kind of crazy. Went from Cohen, Showalter, and Epler to just David Stearns at this point now. So, totally different direction for the New York Mets. Billy Epler is out. And it comes on the heels of an investigation done by Major League Baseball regarding his usage of the injured list this past season. Some... um, obscure usages i guess i i really haven't looked into it all the way apparently there's some investigations about his phantom il usage i know that's a thing you're not really supposed to do it but it's being uncovered now and guys i i just gotta i gotta ask what direction are the mets going in now i i have no idea it was kind of shocking to see that epler was out the door but that is the case 
it kind of just feels like they're in a whole new rebuilding phase once again. I feel like this is the Mets every single season that they're just saying like, oh, this is our rebuilt and we're going to be better. And it hasn't worked in the past, unfortunately. Last season, the 2022 season, it did work, but only so far into the playoffs. Obviously, they were hoping for a lot more this season. I kind of see Epler's perspective going from like the number one guy to like co-working for the organization. So I understand that he didn't want to work with Stearns in that sense and have like all of it to himself. Like it's he understands it. And then Stearns comes in saying, hey, I'm actually above you now. You're number two. So I get I respect Epler for knowing like his own self-respect, but it's just crazy timing with the investigation and I read a few articles and they don't have like too much information out yet they don't have any players that they're like looking for they don't have like a lot of evidence it seems like they have enough to conduct conduct the investigation but I saw Epler said that he will continue to be cooperative with the investigation which is very good on his end guys we've had a total of not one not two not even three but we are on our ninth General manager of the New York Mets. Skipped from three all the way to nine. Since, drumroll please, July of 2018. We are entering our ninth GM because there was like. 2018? I had no idea. So there was like a trio that ran right after Sandy left, like for that leave of absence. Then we got Brody, which (laughs) was a. Then there was Jared Porter. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, wow. who easily forgettable situation, I guess. Now then, it's yeah, been so many. Then there was the eight-month Zach Scott. Sandy came back, <laughs> and then we had Billy. Wow. And <laughs> you know what? I I was reflecting on my my time as a Mets fan with Billy Epler at the helm, and if you asked me maybe in 2022 how I felt about Billy Epler, it would look a lot different than how I felt in 2023 about him. Because in 2022, Billy Epler did nothing at the trade deadline. What he got at the trade deadline was Daniel Vogelback and Darren Ruff. The guys. It, yep. <laughs> the guys who we'll talk about a little bit when we talk about the investigation Absolutely. in particular. But... um. Then Epler came into 2023 and he was like, you know what? I'm going to switch some gears here. He got Kodai Senga, which I thought was his probably one of his best moves, like as to the GM, because I think what we got for Kodai has been absolutely great. Um, I think he has been a consistent talent in this pitching staff in all of this uncertainty with, you know, the Max Scherzer and the Justin Verlander and everything going on that, you know, we got a, we got a nice consistent, like, just pitcher to have in our rotation. And I think that was solid. And then you look at what he did um, at the deadline, getting rid of Scherzer and Verlander, and you get all of the prospects that we got. We got uh, Luis Angel Acuna, Drew Gilbert, Ryan Clifford, all these great guys. Um, and, you know, it, it's it's uncertain how much it, was it Billy Epler, how much was it Steve Cohen, because I know Steve Cohen is very hands-on in this organization in terms of getting deals done and doing all of this. Um but he, he did good for the organization in some in some parts before. But I, I agree with you, Lauren. I think when you look at this, it, it's understandable why he would step back. I don't think the investigation is the reason for stepping back. I know some people are throwing that idea around that this is uh, like a cop-out way of him to get out of this whole thing. I, I don't think, knowing a little bit about the details of the aisle situation, that yes, he probably mismanaged it, but we're, the Mets were not the major offender in major league baseball they were 16th overall in terms of putting players on 
the IL. So really, when you look at it, not like, and the Mets didn't go anywhere with this, so it's not like we're really dealing with a really high-stakes situation where he would be under a much bigger microscope. I think this is just like, oh, you're really going to continue to play Daniel Vogelback this much? Like, you're really going to keep doing, like, that's a little confusing when you have this young talent sitting on the bench, like, all the time. But, you know what, looking at the Billy Epler era that we've now had, um... I, I will be interested to see how they shift, but I think it was a necessary shift with Stearns coming in. I think we needed to clean house once again after this season because it was just abysmal. Um, but I would be remiss to say if he did, like, nothing for the organization as a whole. And it's crazy to see, at least to me, how quickly this, this you know, Mets team has risen mm-hmm. and fallen in the span of two years. With uh, in terms of the Showalter Epler era, it's kind of it's kind of crazy to me. But um, yeah, I don't know how much you could really look into this IL situation. I think he's end- eventually just gonna be fine. I think he's a great executive, a great general manager. Somebody will probably pick him up. Um, so I really wouldn't read too much into it. I think it's just a way for David Stearns to be like, all right, you know what, we're really gonna do what we want to do in this process it's kind of of a bold way to say to someone all right you're out the door but you're going to be out the door based on an investigation done by major league baseball for something that you should not be doing Mm -hmm. kind of bizarre but at the end of the day i don't really think it's going to impact epler it's really just a big look at the mets and what david stearns wants to do i thought that you know stearns would come in and him and epler and Cohen would be a great team together and then they would work together to find another manager. However, both of those executives being Stern and Epler, a lot of experience in the field. I believe Stearns is just a little younger than Epler. However, has he's risen to higher roles in organizations. So he gets the nod over Epler with the Mets. Uh, Epler, I think, could be in a few years, where Stern is at with another organization. But it's kind of disappointing. I wanted to see how they would have worked together, uh, particularly because you bring up Kodai Senga, Maddie. How does this look for the Otani pursuit? Obviously, the Mets were like the East Coast team to be like, okay, Otani has a realistic possibility of landing here because of Billy Epler. Billy Epler brings Shohei Otani to Major League Baseball, essentially, with the Los Angeles Angels, leaves in part of Shohei's contract to go to the Mets, signs Kodai Senga, a former teammate of Shohei's, and now that just the Mets don't really seem like a an option for Shohei, in my opinion. I honestly, I, I have never really been on the let's bring Shohei to the Mets anyway, because I just think like we have a lot on our plate that I, I don't think Shohei is going to be the band-aid to fix our problems. Mm. Um, right now we're looking at you know, Stearns talked about the Pete Alonso signing, what the deal is with that. And the good news with that is Pete Alonso announced that he hired uh, Scott Boris to he be did. his agent, mm-hmm. which is yep. huge for the Mets when you consider Max Scherzer hired Scott Boris before the Mets deal. Brandon Nimmo hired Scott Boris before the Mets deal. Even Carlos Correa had Scott Boris at the time of the Mets, like, talkings and deals. Yeah. And so Steve Cohen and Boris obviously have sat in these meetings together and they have worked out deals that they've liked. So I'm not concerned about that. That 
now plays a role. But I think the Mets are going to go after Yamamoto, I think, now from yeah, now, now, now that we're looking at it. But again, I agree. Epler would have had a much better role with his hand in there because of the way he has dealt with players 100%. like Senga. And so I think it would be smart for the Mets to kind of put the Shohei Otani race out of their minds um, and deal with what they have with Yamamoto or somebody else and, and really focus on and things like that because Billy Epler obviously would have that swing. You don't have that anymore. So aim a little bit lower. Aim something to not try to like smooth over everything in your organization. Get some key pieces to go back and build it back up besides trying to like stick all-stars like we did with Max Scherzer and and uh, Justin Verlander, and then look how that panned out. So I think they need a whole new approach, and I think going after um, Otani would just be a mistake. I agree completely. I think the Mets have bigger issues on their plate that they have to look to fix right now. And I kind of just feel like this would be like kind of a Brian Cashman move, getting like an older player who has had a really great couple seasons but has suffered a few injuries and since like pretty recently. And now we don't know what his pitching game is going to look like. His hitting is like taking a break right now. It's just a big question mark with Otani right now, and I don't know if the Mets want that. They want just something consistent for now. Yeah, I think if everything, for lack of a better term, didn't go to hell in a handbasket, this would be a whole different conversation. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, f- I feel like talking about this team in May just has completely transformed into a different topic now in October, and it's very, very interesting. But the ninth regime in the New York Mets small four-year window since 2014 will commence david stern's looking for a new gm and manager lots to check boxes off for the mets they have a lot of boxes to check this off season and it's gonna it's starting from as high up as you can go well it it already did actually <laughs> david stern's was probably the first acquisition yep. of the off season and now we have to work down the totem pole but the mets my opinion they're putting themselves in a good position to succeed in a couple years. What Epler had done for this team, David Stearns will be able to pick up, and I think uh, trans transition nicely. David Stearns, mm-hmm. uh, a guy with a lot of experience, especially with what Billy Epler just did for this New York Mets team in terms of building from within. Did that with the Brewers, did it really well. A team, I can't say this enough, a team that has been perennially good for the last six to seven years, and has completely flown under the radar. We'll talk about them in a minute. Why is that? Because they get swept in the playoffs, but kind of like now, we'll talk about the Brewers in a little bit, but let's switch gears. Let's talk about the Yankees now. Another team in New York, Crosstown Rivals in the Bronx. They will retain Aaron Boone as their manager, announced just a few days ago this week, and that coincided with Sean Casey, hitting coach, also returning for a full season, became the hitting coach after the All-Star break this past season. And obviously the Yankees, hitting-wise, were not good enough to make the playoffs. They still were pretty, uh, as bad as they were without Sean Casey, kind of like how they were with him. However, they did walk a lot more. Their walking capabilities increased, something they could not do in the first half. But kind of like what I was saying, it didn't really matter because they didn't really score a lot of runs to win games. Sean Casey, though, Aaron Boone, they will remain. Aaron, uh, Brian Cashman will also still be at the helm as the Yankees, like the Mets, have, in my opinion, made their first big decision of their offseason. And to me, this is like, we're not waiting. 
They had this meeting in Tampa this week. They're not waiting. They're going right at it because this team, one of their biggest problems is they have no urgency. This to me is the first step towards urgency. This should have been decided when it was. Now they have to go and look at their, their blackboard, their whiteboard, whatever it is, and make decisions for this team. You chose Aaron Boone. Now let's find players. And the thing is, is, you know, I, as a Mets fan, obviously have less, I think, of a strong opinion on Boone, as obviously Yankees fans do. And and I, when I talked about Sean Casey coming on, you know, I, I feel it's only right to give him, like, another season. Absolutely. This year because the Yankees hitting was terrible prior to Sean Casey. And coming in, there's only so much you can do when the guys are already midway through the season down already on morale like what can you really teach them at that point so I I expected Sean Casey to probably come back and give him another kind of test run my deal with Aaron Boone is and I think Yankees fans get really frustrated by Boone compared to how I get frustrated by Boone because I think the difference when I was watching the season if I compared him to Showalter is for a while in the season, Showalter would do nothing for his team in terms of there would be missed calls by the umpires, players would get hit, and Showalter would stand in the dugout and, like, do nothing. He'd glare and then he'd do nothing. He'd give that smug expression. He'd give give the smug expression (laughs) and do nothing. And Boone always has had his players back. At the end of the day, has always had his players back and really stand up for them. And I really missed that on the Mets for a period of time with Showalter until like later in the season when he started like realizing, okay, I got to step up and do something like the, I like the players obviously, but like I got to step up. And I think looking at this past year, which was a dud for the Yankees, Boone takes responsibility for part of this, but he should not be the reason Yankees fans turn and say, this is why we lost the season. Like this is why we checked out of the season. Boone obviously has made questionable decisions, and I think there's a disconnect between Boone, um, the executives, and the analytics team. I think that's where the real tension has been lying, and then it's translated down to the players. That's a great take. Um, great take. So I think like it's not maybe Boone's fault for this. The fault where Boone comes into play is how much are you going to rely on your analytics team are you going to take into effect some of these analytics? The Yankees are an old organization. Of course they don't want to give in to the analytics wave in as in-depth as maybe like the Rays will do or the Brewers would do or something like that. Um, but you have to keep that in mind if you're going forward now in this, in this modern-day game. Um, and it, I really just think it's a tension that I don't know if they've addressed yet this offseason in terms of their meetings and have had conversations about their analytics team and what they're going how they're going to approach next season. But I think that's the real heart of the problem with this Aaron Boone situation and the front office and everything. There is just a lack of interest in the analytics, whether you believe the analytics are right or not. There is a lack of connection there. Players are not getting accurate numbers. Boone is reporting inaccurate like numbers to them, and you're falling like in a mess in the season because you don't know what to do. Exactly. I also just think Boone had really bad luck this season with Yankees injuries. Oh, yeah. The starting day five-man pitching rotation was Nestor Cortez, Johnny Burrito, Domingo Herman, Cole, and Clark Schmidt. Nestor Cortez got injured. He didn't see, like, 
a lot of the second half of the season. Johnny Burrito moved to the bullpen, and as we know, Domingo Herman entered rehab in the middle of the season after he threw his perfect game. And then Rodon came in. Rodon had... The Rod- entire Rodon situation actually confuses me greatly. Why we gave him such a big contract confuses me, but that's okay. But it was a tough situation. He came in after being injured for a few weeks to a new team in a new environment. I say give him another year, see how he does in 2024. Hopefully he's more comfortable. And then Luis Severino as well, he was injured on and off throughout the entire season, and he just never really picked back up. And then as soon as he did, he got injured again. And then moving on to the bats, Judge and Rizzo, two great bats in the first like couple months of the season, and then Judge fell into the wall at Dodger Stadium. And then Rizzo's concussion, which never really got addressed until it was far too late, and he was already like too far gone to come back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It that was, was on everybody, too. Yeah. It's just... Boone also has one more year in his contract. I really don't see them extending his contract for a manager, so chances are Yankees are going to be looking for a new manager sooner than later. Yep, next year is a very um, telling... It will be a very telling season, I believe, in terms of which direction the Yankees are going to want to go. Why is that? Because if they're going to be really set on keeping these young guys that they called up for the end of the season... They want them to have roster spots out of spring training. Aaron Boone is going to need to find a way to get this team to the postseason because this is where the franchise has their eyes set on. They have them set on their all of, the, all of their top 100 guys that they just called up. That's what they're focused on. If Aaron Boone cannot bring that core of players to the postseason next year, I would go out on a limb and say he is most likely gone. My opinion on Boone... I'm not going to really get into that, but we will. Um, I will say this, though. Yes, I agree with a lot of the things that you guys are saying. There are, especially with what you're saying, Lauren, there's a lot that wasn't directly his fault. But watching this man manage the Yankees for the last six years, there have been some decisions that he doesn't. All right. He's not the end all be all for their season. Yeah. There have been seasons, though, where he has made decisions in their final game and I'm sitting at the TV and I'm like, what the hell was that? Yeah. And then their season just ends. I, there, it, and then it's just over. And then we're back to the drawing board. Boone, it will be announced in three weeks that Boone will be retained. It's been the same story for six years. Aaron Boone was supposed to bridge the gap from 2017 to 2018. And he has yet to do that. So I would say this has got to be the year for the Yankees and Aaron Boone. If they want to continue with what they have going on, this is it. Giancarlo's getting older. Cole and and Judge are in the height of their primes, and they're not in the playoffs. <laughs> I just, oh, man, I could go on for hours about the Yankees, but we're not going to do that. I would much rather <laughs> talk about teams that are actually still playing mm. right now. The Yankees, like I said, to open our little segment there, they've made their first move of the of the off season. And now it is on everybody involved with that brass to find the right pieces to get this team at least into a wild card spot next year. If that's not the case by the end of 2024, then some even more serious conversations need to happen. And they can't just be said, it can't just be said that they need to happen. No, they actually like have to happen. So the Yankees Mets, Looking in different directions, the Yankees not so much, but personnel-wise, in terms of players, yeah, we'll probably see a much different, constr- differently constructed Yankees roster than we saw this year. But 
in terms of the postseason, let's get into it because those first four series were pretty fun to watch. We had the Toronto Blue Jays and Minnesota Twins. The Twins, they advance in the postseason for the first time in 21 years. Unbelievable stuff. The Blue Jays have yet to win a postseason game since 2016, 15 or 16, I believe. I don't remember the year off the top of my head, but the Rays and Rangers unbelievable series for the texas rangers they completely dominated the tampa bay rays at the trop not an easy place to go especially in the postseason the rays 99 wins their season extends to 164 games and they're done the brewers and the diamondbacks i know maddie's fired up about that one especially (laughs) with the diamondbacks coming back in some games and they advance to the national league division series as well as the phillies They played some very exciting baseball. But let's go one by one, though, guys. Let's start with the Rays and the Texas Rangers. The Tampa Bay Rays were just completely flat in this series. You know, it happens in the postseason. Like, you go to the postseason and you just absolutely suck. Like, there's yeah. that ch- there's that chance. There's that chance your season kind of meant nothing. And and they that happened to them, unfortunately. And there's literally nothing you can do to avoid something like this. It nope. doesn't speak to the entire race season. It doesn't speak to their offense. They literally just had the worst defense I think I've seen out of them all season. Yep. The lineup couldn't hit. They had, you know, just just major dealings and then you have to give the rangers credit Corey seager looked great yep Corey seager went four for eight he had three doubles montgomery had seven scoreless innings like that you if you don't play well like you're just gonna get shut down and then evan carter who the young rookie looked amazing as well big two-run home run big two-run home run uh only one out in eight plate appearances so that was big for him but it really like as good as the Rangers could have looked there, it literally is overshadowed by how bad the Rays played. Yeah. The Rangers pitching was just so incredible. That was like the big thing I was paying attention to. Jordan Montgomery, as you said, gave seven scoreless innings. And he made that amazing play with the pop-up bunt mm-hmm. that he dove to get on the first yep. baseline. Love that. I, Hustle. Love that. That was great. Pitchers can field. And that yes, also saved a run. And he had five strikeouts. And the bullpen in game one only gave up one walk which was incredible. And then in game two, Nathan Valdi pitched six and two-thirds inning, and he had eight strikeouts, which is just crazy. Dominant stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then the bullpen in game two gave up two hits, and that was it. And the whole series, the Rangers only used three pitchers from the bullpen because LeClerc, Leclerc put – whoa, sorry. LeClerc <laughs> pitched in both games. And then just comparing that to the Rays pitching, which I think some questionable decisions was made there, Glasnow got five innings, and his defense behind him was, like, just bad. He gave up four runs, and he had three hours with him on the mound. And the Rays also used three bullpen pitchers in the first game, whereas the Rays or the Rangers used three for the entire series, which just goes to show that the Rays were just not in it as much as the Rangers were. One thing with the Rangers mm-hmm. that you're talking about these analytical teams, we were talking about the Brewers and the Rays and how they really use an emphasis on their analytical department. And why is that? Obviously, small market teams. We know the story. But why Tampa Bay can't make it over the hump, at least to me, from what it seems. And a lot of these analytically driven teams can go as far back as to when the Minnesota Twins won the last playoff series before their most current one. They beat the Moneyball A's, um, the series that the movie is pretty much about. We, You go back to then 
what did these kinds of teams, what do they not have? They don't have someone that can get them over the hump. Right. Who do the Rangers have? Corey Seager. They have an MVP candidate. They have Marcus Semien. They have people who are making over $30 million a year to play this sport. Obviously, the Brewers and well, mainly the Rays, they mm-hmm. can't really afford players like that. So that's why you get decisions from Kevin Cash that are so like, what was that? Well, in the regular season, they'll get you through. These are regular season juggernaut teams. But when it comes to, you know, the discrepancies between October and the first six months of the baseball season, these $30 million guys are who you want in these situations. You want a Corey Seager in this situation, especially a guy who has a plethora of experience in October. The Rays are not winning that matchup. Same with the Brewers. You're playing teams. If you're playing teams with players with experience in the postseason, especially guys like Corey Seager, it's going to be very tough no matter what kind of season they're having. But let's talk about the other American League uh, wildcard series because a a almost identical situation mm-hmm. with the twenty in the twenty twenty World Series with Blake Snell and Kevin Cash, Schneider and Berrios. I I just I don't really know what Schneider was doing. Manager of the Toronto Blue Jays pulling Jose Berrios in a decisive game two. He's back home against the team that traded him, and he's dealing. They take him out after three innings pitched, and he only gave up one run, and they the the Blue Jays did not score. They just took him out of the game. I couldn't believe it. Literally, as you're talking, I was like going to interject because I was going to say this is really similar to when we're talking about analytics and the decision to use analytics. I was like, that's really funny that this exact situation just happened to somebody else in the American League because there was zero reason for him to come out of this game. One walk and then they're like, you're done. Like, never works out right. If the guy is doing good, just let him pitch through it. Let him go. Let him continue to go. But instead, I think it was more of an analytical decision to say, okay, well, this guy, um, who was who was coming up to bat? It had to to be a string of lefties. I didn't check the lineup Uh, because Kikuchi came in right after, so that it had to be lefties. However, you just can't do that. Like, yeah, rolling. It it just it's like it's the question where. I think analytics then it could be too much of a crutch for some teams where you look, I agree. you then have to decide, okay, where can we figure out the balance between this is good analytics wise, or this is, you know, something else. And I think honestly, when you're in the wild card, especially of all things, because the wild card is a wild card of a round. It is not like the divisional series it is not like the championship. And it is not like the world series. The wild card is your one time to make an impact. So you have to go on gut feelings alone. Cause you just want to make it to the next step. It is not a time to start playing. Well, well last game they were hitting like this against the lefties. And you know, we need to make sure like all of this, like you can't do that in the wild card. It literally should just be like instinct gut this is how we feel. This is how we should go. Analytics should not be the forefront of your wildcard decisions. Save that for when you can play four games or you can play three games and you can get some data off of it. You're playing what? One, two games? Like, that's it. That's You're it. playing at minimum two games. Yeah. Yep. So it's like, come like come on at this point. Like, it's, it's ridiculous to see how, like, the over-reliance then plays a role. And I like analytics, but this is like... 
just overstepping the line on some of your teams. Yeah, I totally agree. I think the analytics were kind of what you were saying about the Yankees, Maddie. One of their problems is that they're so reliant, like the, like the Rays. They want to be, they want to fit this model, but it's just like the Yankees have always been known to spend. You can use your analytics, but you have the ability to spend. You have the ability to outduel some of these teams because you can get a $30 million player. The Tampa Bay Rays cannot do that. So, yeah, I I think in the postseason in general, it has to be a lot of gut reaction. Analytics can help you get through the regular season. They will help you in the postseason as well. But when it comes to those dis- really decisive moments, you have to use your baseball instincts and why you got this job. And that's just not really the case for a lot of teams. My jaw was dropped watching this moment in the game because, as you both said, no no reason could make this make sense but another thing that the Blue Jays just didn't do their offense just did not get it together they scored one run in the Mm -hmm. series like you're not going to win a postseason game if you only score one run in the series the Twins set the tone early in both games score whoa sorry I'm like dozing in and out today (laughs) (laughs) in game one they scored two runs in the first inning so like obviously that set the Blue Jays off a little bit and then game two they were like a little bit slower getting the lead in the fourth and then keeping that. And Blue Jays, Blue Jays just never recovered from Barrios getting taken out, which is crazy. Yeah, they 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 just didn't. And they kind of, you know, it's they had what was coming to them. They should have just let their guy go, especially against the team that they were facing. This, these were his boys at one point. This was his team. Barrios came up when he was like 16, 17 with the, the uh, Twins. He knows that stadium. He knows that organization. I, If I was him, I would have loved to have been out there and try to beat them, you know. But the Blue Jays, just a bad presence in the postseason, and they haven't had a good one in the last three to four years that they've made it. I just think they're a very immature team. They don't have the right leadership. Their star players are too immature, in my opinion. I think Bo Bichette and Vlad Guerrero are great players. Pitchers are great, but they just don't have it in the postseason, and I think that's because they're not seasoned enough, especially when it comes to the regular season. I think they need somebody on that team that's been in it and help these guys direct their ship because I think it's the same story every year. Good in the regular season, but then it comes to the postseason, and they just don't have the umph. They always end up talking too much, and then they always get it handed right back to them. I think they need a little bit of maturity going into next season, especially after getting swept Again, they haven't won a postseason game in almost 10 years, so it's been a while. But let's let's segue into the National League, a couple series, and then we'll talk about the Division Series, and then we'll wrap our show up. But the Milwaukee Brewers, Arizona Diamondbacks, the Diamondbacks went on the road. Very, very clutch performance from their lineup. Maddie's loving it over there. She is loving it. Took down the division winner, the NL Central division winner, pretty seamlessly. Zach Gallen, he looked great in his uh, start in game two and now the diamondbacks they advance to the division series for the first time since 2017 a fun series fun series for the diamondbacks uh great offense they they played very good situational baseball and if they can continue to do that they will make it a series this weekend you know, glad they were on the road because Diamondback Stadium is the worst stadium I've ever been at. Uh, <laughs> so that's why I'm happy they at least got to do something out of their miserable stadium. Anyway, 
Corbin Carroll, <laughs> gotta give him credits because he is probably going to be rookie of the year in the Absolutely. National League. Yeah. And he deserves it after the performance he put on like in the in these games. Um he was four for seven, um, and it was just you know, it it just was a good comeback. Like there had to be one game out of the wild cards that were like, okay, finally we have like a, a thrilling story to go off because the AL was pretty like flat in terms yeah. of like storylines, and the Phillies just demolished like because they're the Phillies, and so finally we got like an actual like here's like a battle of a wild card, like a comeback story that we've been waiting for, and and Corbin Carroll just like leading them through this. Um, and tell Marte too, he had a good series. He was really good as well. Um, and I, I just think the Brewers are also that team that we're talking about. Have they just don't get over the hump either? Like yeah, there's something, there's something that's been going on for for times where they've been able to figure out how to get to the postseason. They can't figure out how to get further than like the first round now. And so I think it's going to take them a little more time because they're obviously on the right track. They're just not there yet as an organization. I think to really figure that out. And so. You know, I I counted the Diamondbacks out for most of the season. I said that they would not hold on to that third wild card. I said that they would not be there, and here they are proving me wrong. Um, and good for them, I guess. But stay out of that miserable city. <laughs> <laughs> Their offense was just so incredible. They answered back loudly in both games because they didn't score first in either game, but were patient and they were unstoppable. Carroll's monster, like, 444-foot home run, I think. Something like that. Yeah. It was crushed. And that was, like, yep. when the third third inning of game one, and that was, like, the end for Milwaukee, in my opinion, because then they just kept going to score six runs yeah. in that game. And then D-backs bullpen was super strong as well. Mm-hmm. Over the two games, they threw nine and third inning, and they gave up no runs in that. And both starters, as we like see in the score, they had a little trouble giving up two runs and three runs, but the bullpen held it together for the rest. Yeah, mm-hmm. the Diamondbacks, nice little comeback story. Nice nice little season that they're going to have to look back on whenever their elimination, who knows, never know, Cinderella run, but they will face the Los Angeles Dodgers. No easy task there. Got two MVP candidates rolling in for that series. The last of the wild card series, though, was pretty bland. Marlins, Phillies, good to see the Marlins in there. I can't expect them to make it back in next season and for a few seasons to come. They have a nice little squad, and I think they have the right direction. Kim Ang, awesome general manager. Mm-hmm. Skip Schumacher, great in his first season as a major league manager as well. Great stuff from them, but the Phillies poised to recapture their National League title, and they looked very good. I also like them in their matchup against the Braves because they took care of business against the Braves last year. I know the Braves are the best team in baseball, but Phillies know how to play them. Listen, if there's one team I'm going to root for against the Braves, it's going to be the Phillies in this case because the Phillies can actually – Tough series for you. Yeah, this this whole stretch has been rough, so this really doesn't get easier for me, (laughs) so i got to pick and choose what I can really get through. And right now, I think the Phillies are just like – they're just that it team of baseball for me. They got that magic. They They got the the magic. They're – Fun. Like you talk, you talk about stories that have been going on all year. You look at Trey Turner. Started off the year horrible. He writes his apology note to the fans. He puts it on the billboard. He comes back in this wild card series and just delivers for the fans. He constantly is trying to improve and get better, and that's what he's been doing all season long after his really bad slump. Then you look at, you know, X Met Zach Wheeler mm-hmm. out there just pitching great and Aaron Nola who is 
by far one of the most impressive postseason pitchers I have seen over the last couple he years. Great. He was phenomenal, and he's looked phenomenal in the past couple starts that he's done over last year's postseason and now what we've seen out of this one. I think it says that he's had one run in 27 innings. Mm. You, like great in the World Series last great. year. Great, he's been great in these big situations, and and I think that's what's important for them. The Marlins just had no chance against them. They just yeah. there's something out of the Phillies in which everybody performed well, and that's rare you see in a lot of these teams. But everybody for the Phillies looked good, and going in to face the Braves, that's the best case scenario that you need, um, because the Braves are not going to make it easy. But I don't think I think the Phillies are dare I say scrappier, and I think that they're just they're a hundred percent scrappier. And I think they just you know, I, I think they have that kind of gusto that I think the Braves kind of lack in spots. Um, I think there's uh, like more confidence in the players of the Phillies when they go up to the well, plate. You know, they've been there too. Yeah. They have what a lot of teams don't have, and will always help you in a postseason run in any sport. They have that experience. And of all of the teams, they've been all the way there the most recent, aside from the Astros. The Phillies know what it's like to get all the way there and lose. So now they can, they have that momentum going for them right now. The Phillies are just on fire. As we said, like, everyone is working together right now. Game one, every single player in the starting lineup got at least one hit, which was the only game in the wild card series that happened. Wow. And that ranked up to 11 hits for the game. And... Grand slams are already pretty rare to see, but seeing it in the postseason yeah. is pretty spectacular. So, you know, Stott got like got that 7-0 lead in the sixth Big grand slam. That yeah. was epic. That was crazy. Epic. I um I like left the room and I went back. I was like, <laughs> what happened? <laughs> yeah, it was that was awesome. I fell asleep and then I woke up and it was seven nothing and I kept seeing the highlights of it and it was just electric. The Citizens Bank Park was rocking. Red October, yeah. <laughs> Yo, you said Phillies were on fire, fire Fios. with a, fire with a P. They're yeah. on fire. <laughs> They're on fire. Well, that will lead us to our last portion of the show. It'll be really brief. Division series coming up. We have the Rangers and the Orioles, the Twins and the Astros. Let's just start in the American League. Both games starting, both series starting on Saturday. Guys, let me get your predictions. Let's just go winner and how many games really fast. Let's start with the two American League series. I think going off the bat, I want to lean Rangers in this mm -hmm. one um, because I, I just was really impressed in the wild like card scenario that um, they were really kind of like putting things together. They mm -hmm. had been having like – you know, move th this season for them was a really interesting season when you look at like what they were trying to accomplish and do in terms of acquisitions of players. Um, in terms like obviously they get Degrom at the start of the season. Degrom goes down after like two days or whatever, like because yeah, he's made out of glass. Few and, starts, yeah, yeah, yada, yada, yada. It's the Yankees um, too, crazy. Yeah, mm -hmm. um, and so you know I've just been really impressed. I think with the Rangers thus far, um, and so. I think I'm going to go Rangers um, for this one. I don't know how many games I want to go on this one, though, because I don't I don't want to count out the Orioles because I, again, think the Orioles have been a very good team in terms of flying under people's radars, and they always could surprise me. But I think uh, – I don't know how many games, but I'm going to go Rangers on this one. 
I am going to counter you. I'm going to go Orioles mm. in five games. I, I like think it. the Orioles just have a more like diverse, a better, and more powerful lineup than the Rangers do. And the Rangers did impress me in the wild card, but the Orioles have constantly surprised me this regular season. I'm a Yankees fan, so I was paying a lot of attention to them, unfortunately. And they just constantly leave me like in awe. They're just so incredible at the sport. I'm going to go Rangers in five. Mm. My reasoning, Rangers played two games. They played really well. Orioles haven't played in a week. Orioles are really young. Rangers are a little more seasoned. I'll take the Rangers in five. I like the Orioles coming back next year after getting a taste of defeat in the postseason with how young their team is. Then they come back and rebound. This Orioles team is going to be very good for a very long time. I don't think it's quite their time just yet. Give me Rangers in five. Minnesota and Houston. I'm going to make my synopsis here pretty brief. Uh, Pablo Lopez, Framber Valdez, game one starters. That's going to be very fun. Going to Houston in four. I think just because uh, Carlos Correa is on the Twins, they'll squeeze a game out and it'd be really cool and be like, Correa wins a game, steals a game from Houston, whatever. Blah, 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 blah. It'll be short-lived. I think the Astros win in four, and it'll be a Texas American League Championship Series, the Houston Astros versus the Texas Rangers. I will agree with you on this one. I, I think this is a lot. I think this is the easiest decision for me when I look at the playoffs every year. I, I think the Astros are pretty like they're pretty a safe bet for everybody. Twins are just mm-hmm. never strong enough to. No, no, they're not. They always pull like you said that one random game. You'll see them pull out, and 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 I I have an inkling too that it's going to be like a big game for them. Like it's going to be like a real big game where I, they. I think it could be Carlos Correa goes two for four with two doubles <laughs> in Houston. They win five four and be really cool, and then that'll be it for them. So I I also agree. I think it's going to be Astros and four, and I think. This is it's going to be a really big Lone Star State Post, fun uh, American League post. It'll be so fun. Yeah, I also have Astros in four. <laughs> um, as we know, the Astros are not new to the playoffs. They're pretty seasoned here, unfortunately, I for so. every mm-hmm. New York fan. Yeah, the Twins are a bit out of their element here. They have not really been in the division series too frequently, but over twenty years actually. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> actually, they haven't won a series in 20 years they've been to the division series haven't won many games Mm. and houston rarely loses playoff series so i don't see that streak ending now as long as bregman and verlander and altuve are still there whoever's still part of that core Mm -hmm. from when they first won as long as they're still there i i can't see houston falling off of the pedestal just yet right all still there i know it sucks to hear but it, it they're just that good it's unfortunate there there's a reason that they have been to what is it five world series in the last like seven years and they've won two of them so it's, it's there i know 2017 was 2017 but this franchise has just been able to win over the last 10 years so uh really fast with the national league because we're running short on time braves phillies dodgers diamondbacks i think the phillies edge the braves here in four games again I uh, just the Braves whenever they are the best of the National League they always know how to nosedive whenever they're a wildcard team they're really fun obviously they won the World Series when they were a wildcard team but whenever they're the cream of the crop they will always let you down and the Phillies they find themselves back in the championship series defending their title against the Los Angeles Dodgers another NL West team they played the Padres last year it'll be Phillies Dodgers I'll go Phillies in four Dodgers in four for the division series that they will match up in the championship series. I would love nothing more 
and would make my day and honestly my year to see the Atlanta Braves lose this series. And so that's why I'm going to give them the fact that they might go to five games. Mm. But the Phillies are going to take it because they want me to be happy at the end of the day. And therefore, I think the Phillies just have played better cohesive baseball um, under the radar than I could say the Braves even though the Braves have all of this all-star talent that's been like generating and all of the press has been about them and everything I think the Phillies just cohesively play better so I'll go that in five Uh, Dodgers to me this one's easier I'm going in four um, because the Dodgers also have that all-star caliber content but instead of the flashy Braves kind of all-star it's very subdued like you it's not like you see Freddie Freeman going out there and like like talking about the game in the same way like Acuna might talk about his game and like really be flashy about like you know this is how I play this is what I do like you know I'm happy to be like like a young guy playing it but like Freeman is like much more subdued in his nature and and same with Betts like Betts is like really chill under the radar like it's not like a flashy type game that they play compared to the Braves um and I just think the the Dodgers are just more consistent, um, as always. Um, so yeah, I think the Dodgers will take in four. I think it's pretty pretty good for them. I have Braves in five actually. Atlanta had the home run leading this year with three hundred something home runs. I don't remember <laughs> the number off the top yeah, of my it was head. Nuts. It was bad. But home runs win in October, so I just think that they're gonna like get in their groove and just be unstoppable against the Phillies and this is like the series I'm most excited for personally because like you know the NL East rivals so very excited to see that environment in Atlanta and then as for Diamondback and Dodgers I'm agreeing with both of you I have Dodgers in four in the regular season these teams face each other 13 times and the Dodgers won eight of those so just like historically speaking the Dodgers have better odds but then you also look at the Freeman, <laughs> Muncie, and Betts trio, and they're just elite. During the regular season, they got a combined 104 home runs. Like, wow. it's just crazy what they're capable of. Seasoned veterans, for sure. That's where the Dodgers are going to edge the Diamondbacks. That's just how the postseason is. If you got a little more edge on you, you've been there before, you really have to go on a Cinderella run if you're on that kind of team yep. to beat these kinds of teams. Uh, the, the Braves... I just don't think that they're going to have it. I think that there's just going to be a lot of hype. This is just a franchise that when they get in these kind of situations, I've never been able to get over that hump. And what I mean by this, we're not talking analytics. We're talking when they have too many stars. You look at their 90s teams. That team, That is a team that only won one World Series. And you could argue was better than this current team that they have right now. So I just don't really like the Braves when they're – in in at the top of major league baseball i like the phillies especially coming off of two very strong games braves kind of similar to the orioles have not played in a week i take a lot into that Mm -hmm. and then you got to face zach wheeler and aaron nola at least one time both of them uh so not looking too confident for the braves and it's 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 shocking but it is what it is and the dodgers uh, uh, the Diamondbacks are just too young, in my opinion. They're not quite there yet. I think we get Phillies, Dodgers, Rangers, Astros, Championship Series. But we'll watch it all unfold this week as we conclude Nosebleeds, a production of WFEV Sports. It's been a lot of fun, a lot of postseason baseball. It was fun chatting with you guys this week. We're going to watch these series as we go throughout the weekend. should be a lot of fun. 
But for Lauren Mondaruli and Maddie Bimonti, I'm Will Talent, and this has been Nosebleeds, a production of WFUV Sports.